Turn with me in your scripture to Psalm, the 18th chapter. We're going to continue this. We looked last session at verses 1 through 19. And if you haven't watched that sermon, please go back to that and watch that. I believe it'll bless you and encourage you as we talked about victory over death, the devil, and the grave. And that message concludes in verse 19 as David saying, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. A very strange way to phrase it. He, he did this. He heard my cry and gave me victory in all these areas because he delighted in me. And if you think that is maybe um, overemphasizing his own place in God's heart, you see here he speaks even further of his own condition. Verse 20 through verse 28. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from my God for all his rules, or you could say there his his uh, just decrees were before me, and his statues I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you will bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. The results and the rewards of righteousness. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we receive the word of God. Let it be engrafted into our spirit, soul, mind, and body that we might obey your commands and walk. Give us an understanding of what it means to as David was able to do, say that we're righteous, that we're clean, that something has transpired in our hearts to make us different people. Give us that Holy Ghost boldness and confidence to say and see and know who we are in Christ Jesus. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Again, as I said just a moment ago, the, the context here is David being delivered from all of his enemies. And, and he's saying that he was delivered because God delighted in him. There was something inside of him that caused God to move when he cried. I believe there's three points to this passage, and I want to cover all three of them briefly with you today. Number one is righteousness is a result of the covenant. Righteousness is a result of the covenant. Number two, righteousness reaps rewards. There are rewards for becoming and being a righteous person. And number three, righteousness reap results. Certain things will take place because of righteousness. As a result of the covenant, it reaps rewards and it reaps results. As a result of God's gracious covenant, we receive righteousness and its rewards. We look first at the covenant that uh, creates righteousness, and then the results of that imputed righteousness, and then thirdly, the rewards that come from that righteousness which God gives. I think C.H. Spurgeon, Spurgeon said it better than I probably could ever say it here today in this message. He said, first God gives holiness, then he rewards it. And that's important for us to understand it because if not, it almost seems David was being haughty here. He's dealt with me, verse 20, according to my righteousness, the cleanness of my hands, he's rewarded me. He, because I've kept his ways, 
I kept his rules. I was blameless before him, so he rewarded me according to my righteousness. You see how if we misread this and misunderstanding, it could seem as a form of self-righteousness, a works-based faith, a works-based righteousness. I did all these things, therefore I deserve for God to come and rescue me. He's on my side. He's rewarding me. The results I have in my life, the, the favor of God, the benefits of God, the joy of the Lord, all of these things I have because I am such a good person. He delights in me because he looks down from heaven and goes, now there's one who's holy, just, and pure in himself. But the truth is, we know that there are none righteous, no, not even one. David understands that his righteousness is not of his own. He makes it extremely clear here. And we need to be clear about this because there are many churches today that function in a way that promotes self-righteousness. Do these list of things. Follow these 10 steps. Obey these certain rules and regulations. Then you'll become righteous. Then you'll get saved. Then you'll become a favorite of God. And they have it totally backwards. David knows this very clearly in verse 27. After saying about him being righteous and him being clean and him being pure and him being blameless, after saying that, he clarifies it in verse 27 by saying, For you save, you save, you make righteous, you make someone blameless, you make someone able to to be delighted in. You make someone who can be clean. You make someone who can be rewarded. You make uh, someone who's dark turned into light. You do this yourself, God. It is a work of your Holy Spirit. It is the work of the blood of Jesus Christ that cr- creates forgiveness and cleansing. There's a fountain filled with blood. The Bible says, drawn, uh, the song says, drawn from Emmanuel's vein, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. Without that plunge, without that blood, David could, could not say, for looking forward to what Jesus would do for him. So the, the righteousness, which was a, like Abraham, a righteousness by faith, as he looked forward to that, he was cleansed, he was made righteous, he was made holy. And, and gloriously, he was not afraid to say it, that, I, not, that I, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm, I'm found righteous, I'm found pure, I'm found spotless, I'm found clean hands and a pure heart. My friends, don't you, do, don't you want to say that? about your life? Don't you get tired of going around just miserable and and beaten up and destroyed and feeling like I'm so hopeless and and such a sinner and such a loser and constantly backsliding and constantly getting lukewarm, constantly forgetting God days without number, forgetting to read the word, and, and you just get lost in this cycle of despair. But let us learn like David learned because God saves us, because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us, we can stand on that holy ground and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Say it without fear, without trembling, without trepidation. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, not in my own strength, not in my own might, but by the Spirit of the Lord. It's in 27, he continues, for you save a humble people. David understands, I'm not speaking here in a haughty spirit. He says here, but the haughty eyes you bring down. David understands, if I speak in a haughty spirit, I'm righteous, I'm holy, I'm pure, I'm just, I'm clean because of my behavior, because of my fortitude, because of my spiritual uh, abilities to have a backbone and do things in my own strength, he would understand that would be a haughty spirit and he'd be brought down. 
But he understands instead it's because of his humility, because he understood his sinfulness, his brokenness, his rebellion. He understood his turning from God. This is an important message in our generation where almost everybody from our parents to our schools and even in the pulpits of our churches today, they do nothing but tell us how good we are, how we can do anything. Nothing we do is wrong. Everything is just stars and roses and pluses and and. Uh, just, you know, every drawing you do is put up on the refrigerator. And, and if a teacher gives you a B, the parents go to school and say, why didn't you give Johnny an A plus? It's just this perpetual sense of you're worth it, you're worthy, you're valuable. David is the opposite of that. In his own power, his own strength, in his own broken sinful nature, he understands he's despicable. He understands he's, he's a worm. He understands he's worthless. And that's why he humbles himself and then God saves him and rescues him from that and sets him on high ground and he's able to say now, you made me righteous, you made me clean, you made me pure. All glory, all honor, all thanks go to God because it was God who did these things and not David himself. It's not an ounce of haughtiness in this. It's total humility because David understood it was God who does the work. It's not a list keeping. It's not rules and regulations. It's not self. It's not works. It's a broken and humble and contrite heart that the Lord will not despise and turn away. And now those are the persons that he will cleanse, make holy and righteous. You see, David understood his sin nature. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, I was born where I was conceived in sin. Another translation says, I was conceived in iniquity. doesn't mean that his parents were birthing him out of wedlock. It means from birth, the very DNA, from the, the Adamic nature, the sin nature, that when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, the sin was passed down through one man, through one Adam, all became sinners. And so David understood, I was born in sin. I wasn't born righteous. I wasn't born clean. I wasn't born holy. Something had to happen to me to bring about this great change in my life. David also understood. He understood clearly his his sin nature, not just from the time of his birth, but even after his birth, that he lived in this perpetual place uh, of sin. He, he, understood, he, he understood he had committed adultery. If you remember when, when Nathan came to him and, and Nathan tells him the story about a, a little lost sheep, one that was taken away from the owner who only had this one sheep. And, and David hears the story and Nathan points that finger at him and says, you're the man. You're the one who took Bathsheba. You're the one who murdered Uriah. And David just breaks. Just, I have sinned against the Lord and against him only I have sinned. He sees that it's the sin of his heart that causes him to do this. It's not just behavior modification that he's after, but he's after a change in heart. And this is very different. And I want to comment just briefly on a different type of repentance. Why was David able to call himself righteous after doing all those things when Saul, King Saul, did something that seemed lesser, but yet found greater punishment, if you will. The lesser thing that he did was the Amalekites were meant to be destroyed completely so that they wouldn't later rise up against Israel. And but, but, but Saul doesn't completely obey, and he saves some of the best and some of the sheep and some of the goats and, and, and some of the cattle, and he saves those things uh, for his own benefit, for his own good, and, and this is sin. And Samuel comes to him all as, as, as David had Nathan come to him, and Saul says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, and Saul said to 
Saul said to Samuel, after Samuel had rebuked him, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people. The first thing that Saul is different than David is he makes an excuse. David immediately falls to his knees and weeps and says, I am a sinner. Uh, I am the man. I am the one. I've sinned against God. But, but here he's saying, oh, I feared the people. I was afraid. I obeyed their voice. So basically he's confessing that he's obeying man rather than God, and he's doing it out of fear. But both of these things are excuses. They are reasons why he didn't do it. It's not a falling on his face in true repentance. It's, it's a, an excuse. And, and not only that, he goes on to say, and now, verse 25, Now therefore pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. There, there, there's a strange sense in him that, that he can't just go worship the Lord himself, that he can't truly repent and then go back into the Lord's presence. He needs Saul. He, in other words, he doesn't have a firsthand worship experience with God, intimacy with God. It's, he's living vicariously through the prophet. Many people do that today in our churches. We live through other saints or books we read or sermons we hear or pastors that lead us. And we don't have that firsthand experience. And we don't have that. We're not going to have true repentance. And when we don't have true repentance, we're not going to have true righteousness, holiness, living in us. Verse 29, just going on about this false form of repentance that we find in the churches today so often. And so also the glory of God will not lie or have regret, for he is a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. Honor me now. This is no form of repentance. This is, okay, I'll say I'm sorry for this so that I could be honored once again. It was so selfish, so different than David. And this is why Saul was really never able to have a chapter written about him like this where he could say, my hands are clean, my heart is pure, I walk in righteousness, blameless before the Lord in all my ways. He couldn't say that because it wasn't birthed out of true repentance. And true repentance doesn't come unless we understand that we were born in iniquity, that we are like David, that we are sinners. We have no excuse like Saul had. We have no secondhand faith like, like Saul had. We have uh, no putting on a show to get honor like Saul had. We want to come like David and say, ah, woe is me, I'm a sinful man. We want to come like the prophets of old, Isaiah, I'm undone. We want to come like Peter, who when he saw Jesus, he fell down because he said, I'm an unclean man. It's birthed out of that, that knowledge of our brokenness, fallenness, sinfulness, that comes the ability to be forgiven, cleansed, our repentance made, making us right with God. It's important that we understand that this righteousness that Psalm 18 is talking about is a righteousness born out of repentance, about a righteousness born out of the new covenant of what Christ done, has done for us, making our repentance come before the blood. The one, Hebrews says, once and for all, cleanse. doesn't have to be a sacrifice time and time again, over and over again. One time Jesus set us free and cleanse us. And, and we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Psalm 18 Verse uh, 28 uh, says this, You light up my lamp. Oh, Lord, you light my darkness. In other words, David's saying this, this light that I call righteousness or cleanliness or blamelessness or clean hands, pure heart, this, this, this thing that we might call light, it's because you've lit up my darkness. You turned me around. The new covenant transformed me from what I once was. The new covenant says this, I'll put a new heart within you. I'll take out that stony heart and I'll give you the power to obey my laws. That's the difference between self-righteousness and new covenant righteousness. Self-righteousness says, I'm going to try to power myself up to obey 
New covenant righteousness says, he gives me the power. He puts the power within me. And then there's grace-driven effort. It's, it's, it's nonetheless effort. It is, it's, it's not you sitting on the couch saying, I'm perfect as the way I am. It's a movement towards God, but it's grace, covenant grace, that makes that way possible for us to the move into the things of God. This is why Spurgeon said it so clear. First, he gives the holiness, and then he rewards it. He gives you that holiness it's a gift from God that comes through repentance about knowing who we are in Christ. So, so just to, to nail this down, to, to show you that this is a David and, and us truly needing to understand these things come from, from God. He says in verse 26, With the purified you show yourself pure. This word purified is in, in, its, in its original language, it means something is acted upon you. You didn't make yourself pure and then come to God and say, I'm purified, now show me yourself pure. This word is, I have been purified, acted upon by an outside source, acted upon by the blood of Jesus, acted upon by the power of the Holy Spirit, acted upon by the new covenant, and it has purified me. And now there's a re reward from that. There's a result of that. You're going to show me your purity I have, I have tasted of it, but you're going to show me the full meal. I have tasted of your mercy, but you're going to show the power of your mercy. I've tasted of, of blamelessness, but you're going to show me how, what true blamelessness is. You're going to show me this purity. And, and, the, and the opposite of that is with the crooked, the Saul-type spirit that's not truly understanding the fallen sin nature, the, the gravity of sin, the, 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 the power and darkness of sin. With the crooked, you're going to seem torturous. It's going to be torture to try to pull yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps. Try to become clean, to try to become holy. Uh, with, with a, to go about it the crooked way, without the straight way of the new covenant, this crooked way is going to be a way that you will, it will seem torturous to you. It will be unbearable. It will be something that will cause you literally to give up before it's all over. So righteousness is, is born of the new covenant. But once it's born of the new covenant, it reaps precious and powerful promises. We're calling them today rewards. Verse 20, David says, you have dealt with me according to my righteousness. The verse above that, he says, you delighted in me. And because you delighted in me, now you're dealing with me in a certain way. You're dealing with me in a way differently than if, if I were impure, differently than if I were rebellious. And that's so true. We sometimes think that the new covenant means you're never dealt with by God in a different way, a way that is, uh, Hebrew says, as disciplining as a father. And, and so righteousness has to ha have rewards, and those rewards are things that God gives you because of the righteousness he's planted in you, the holiness he's given you, now he rewards that holiness. And part of that reward here is, you've dealt with me according to my righteousness, the cleansing of my hands. You, and what was that, what was the way of, of, of this reward? You have defeated death, you have defeated the devil, you have defeated hell in the grave, you have defeated all. This, this chapter starts by David saying in the introduction, all of my enemies, all of them are, have been defeated. That is the reward of the righteous. That is the benefits. That is the favor of God on your life and mine. Verse 24 repeats verse 20 almost exactly. It's almost a word for word. Why is it put in there? Well, it's interesting because only one word is changed. In verse 20, he says, The Lord dealt with me. 
And in verse 24 says, so the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. And so there's a reward of righteousness. He, he's dealing with us, but, but how does he deal with us? It depends on whether the new covenant has been uh, um, walking in agreement in our life and we're walking in that new covenant grace. Then there's a certain way he deals with us and that's the reward. But if, we, if, if we're not walking in that grace, we're, we're going to find that way seem torturous as he says in verse 20, 26. The rewards are becoming righteous. The reward is having clean hands after living in filth. The reward is that you're kept from guilt. The reward is a power of the Holy Spirit, not only to make you clean, but to keep you clean. Not only make you pure, but keep you pure. This is the righteousness that reaps rewards. And the third point is righteousness reaps results. It, it, it empowers you to live a holy life. Righteousness is not an excuse to live a lascivious life of sin. Righteous, the, the imputed righteousness of God that is won on the cross through the blood of Jesus does not give you a sense of, I'm going to sit back on my couch, I'm going to drink and carouse and be immoral and impure. Why? Because I have the new covenant grace that will keep me righteous. Well, no one who has had the impartation of righteousness thinks that way, feels that way, lives that way, or would love to live that way. The, the way of the imputed righteousness of God is showing a change of heart and mind that desires that the, that the, the, the benefit of righteousness which so results in the way I live my life. My behavior changes. My language changes. My decisions change. My company, the people I am around, change. All these things change as he imputes a righteousness in you. If none of those things are changing, if your heart hasn't changed, your mind hasn't changed, your life hasn't changed, your language hasn't changed, your addictions haven't changed, nothing's changing, then I would say to you that you need to once again re-examine, are you walking in true repentance, understanding the, the gravity of the nature of your sin, that repentance birthing in you, a work you could not do for yourself, a grace of the Holy Spirit to save you, rescue you, put his right, take your sin away from you, nail it to the cross and bury it and let it be dead forever and putting now righteousness in you. And if you're not seeing any kind of form of righteousness, I'm not talking about perfect sense of you've never failed, you never say a curse word again, you never attempted it again, you never, you never stumble, but I'm saying that there's a new heart in you, a new covenant heart, and you see these changes and these transformations, even if it's a new desire, you're, you fail again, but you now desire not to ever do that again. Why? Not because you want to be moral, but because you want that righteousness to show the results, the, the, the benefits of being made righteousness. David makes these known in Psalm 18 here very clearly. Verse 21 shows us something that is so important and so helpful for us in our walk with the Lord. He says in verse 21, For I have, and then the second part of verse 21 is, and I have not. This is, this is important for you to hear. Every righteous man or woman of God will find a result of saying to, uh, in this, their life circumstances, situations, their behavior, everywhere they go, everything they do, these two things, I have and I have not. And what do I mean by that? Number one, I, I have, it's positive. I've kept the ways. I've, I've been graced and empowered to have a new behavior, a new heart, a new mind, a new conversation, new pulls, new draws, new, new longings. I, I, I have, I, I have kept, and it says, I've kept the ways of the Lord. I, I understand his ways. Before 
this righteousness was given to me by the new covenant grace, I, I didn't really understand his ways. I, I didn't want to keep them. I, I dishonored them. I broke them. I, I, I called them foolish and folly. I, I dismissed them. I disengaged with them. But now this new thing and this new heart causes me to, to want to know your ways, to keep your ways, to obey your ways, to teach your ways, to show your ways, to model your ways. The, the ways of the Lord are pure to him, and he wants to keep them. But it's not only the positive I have kept, but it's also ridding ourselves of the negative. The new covenant grace, this grace-driven effort, gives us the ability to say, I have not. I have not wickedly departed from my God. I have not wickedly departed from my God. I, have, I haven't dismissed his ways. This, this could mean I, I have not engaged now in, in wicked um, uh, company. I don't keep up with the same crowd that I used to. I, I saw how that dragged me down. I'll still share Christ with them. I'll still love them and pray for them, but I won't engage with them. I have not given myself over to that same spirit that the, is in the world. Uh, and I've not wickedly departed from my God. And I, I've not chosen certain things that God says and, and departed from them. I don't pick and choose. I don't say this part of the the commands of the Lord I like, uh, but I, I don't really like that one about this particular area of my life that I want to hold on to and cling to. David is encouraging us here. He's imparting truth to us here, saying to us that there's things that we can now, or we, we now have to say, I have not. I, I refuse. I don't walk in those ways. I don't sit in those ways. I, I, I don't I don't echo those same sentiments anymore. I don't practice those same practices anymore. God, I once was, as Paul said, once such were some of you. You, you, you were drunkards and you were immoral and, and you were covetous and you were disobedient to parents. You were this, but now you are washed. Now you are clean. See, that's the imputed righteousness of God. But, it's, but that thing changes. It gives certain results in our life, our morals, our behavior, our obedience to God changes. And there are things that we put, we, we, we put away and there are things we won't put away. We won't put away any form of obedience that God asks of us. He's, I've kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not kept the ways of the wicked. That thing hasn't kept me anymore. I, I don't keep living that way anymore. I've changed. How do, how do we do this? Well, verse 22 tells us, for his rules, you could say his ways, his, his word, his, his character, his nature, his influence, his putting this new heart in me, the, for all of these ways were before me. In other words, I, I, man, I, I just kept this before me. I, 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 kept, I kept this presence before me. I kept the Holy Spirit before me. I kept the Word before me. I kept in Christian fellowship that was, this, this was circling me. I, I kept in the, hearing the preaching of the Word of God. I, I, I kept in the study of the Word of God. I, day and night I meditated on the law of the Lord. This thing was, it was before me. It was, it was the lamp unto my path or the light unto my steps. Your Word was that, and it was before me, and it was keeping me righteous. It had a, and, it, and it resulted in righteous steps, righteous behavior, righteous thinking, righteous speaking, righteous preaching, righteous living that came from this simple thing of having these things before me. And his statues I did not put away from me. See, there's certain statues, as I was saying just a moment ago, there's certain things, if we're not careful, we want to put them away. Like, uh, I like this verse, uh, to, 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 to pray for one another. But this one says, forgive those who have who've hurt you and those who use you and despise you. Forgive them. And we say, oh, no, 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 no. That one 
That one's out of my range, out of my scope, out of my desire, out of my long... And so David is saying here, not only did I keep your rules were put before me, but I didn't put one of them away. Everything you said, I say yes to it. Even the hard things of obedience, of prayer and fasting and, and uh, putting to death the things of the flesh, the carnal desires of this life. He says, I'm not going to let one word from your mouth fall from your lips onto onto fallow ground. It's going to be, or, or on, on hard ground. It's going to be fallow ground. It's going to be broken up. It's going to allow that seed, as Jesus taught in his parable, the, that seed to be implanted into the, the good word implanted. Paul told Timothy, let this word be implanted in you. And, and when that happens, not one of his words will be despised or discarded. You'll, the, the, that, that, and that is not something you're going to, oh, I'll listen to every word. This is grace driving a new result in the way you live so that you want to forgive. You don't just have to forgive. You want to overcome lust. You don't just have to overcome lust. He puts a new desire, a new passion in your heart. He, you're not going to put away any of these things that the Lord has for you. He has... And then lastly, he says, verse 27, we talked about it briefly. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Never in the point of our grace-driven righteousness, never is there a point in the new covenant heart of understanding of the imputed righteousness of Christ, never is there a time to take that and be haughty about it. I know it all, got it all, perform it all. Uh, I just, I don't need to, you see what happens then, it, it, it blunts our spiritual hunger. It blunts that humility that drives us to more of God. It's, it, it's like we're still beggars saying, God, I, as, as much as I've known you in my own life, 50 years plus of, of loving you, studying you, seeking you, uh, I still feel like a novice. I, uh, I humbly come before you. I don't want to be haughty thinking that, that I have such rewards and such results that I don't need to be dependent on you still. It is dependency on God that that not only um, keeps you, but it empowers you, a dependency on God. Oh, I thank God today that I don't have to do this in my own strength. I thank God today that I have power. I thank God that he delights in me. I thank God that he's made me righteous. And the beautiful thing about this, and it goes back to the sermon we had the earlier part about Psalm 18, it goes back to this, is that God hears the prayers of the righteous that if I regard an iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And, and that doesn't mean if I've sinned, I'll never get, get uh, God to uh, listen to me ever again. But what it means, if, I'm, if I live under that Saul spirit of false repentance and not coming into righteousness through the new covenant of grace, if I'm doing it in my own works, the Lord is not going to hear that kind of cry. But once we come into that place where he's changing our heart and he's causing us to be humble and dependent on him, broken and repentant towards him and receiving that new heart, that new covenant from him that we can now cry out to God. And this chapter is all about that. He delivered me from all my enemies, external enemies, internal enemies, my own heart. That's what God does in his new covenant. He has set you free. You have victory. Walk in that joy. <laughs>